You are listening to episode 15 of Stoicism on Fire. Hello, everyone. This is Chris Fisher, welcoming you to the Stoicism on Fire podcast, where the ancient practice of Stoic philosophy as a way of life and rational form of spirituality is still alive. Many people who were introduced to Stoicism by popular books on the topic that were written during the 21st century are surprised by the religious nature of Stoic philosophy when they first encounter it in the surviving Stoic texts and the scholarship on those texts. That is because none of these popular authors tend to address the deeply religious nature of Stoicism in a positive manner. Instead, they either ignore it or they attempt to discredit it as an unwarranted belief of ancient philosophers who lacked any modern scientific understanding of the universe. For some, like Lawrence Becker, Stoic ethics simply cannot be, quote, credible if it remains attached to Stoic cosmology, a providential cosmos. Likewise, William Irvine considers this aspect of Stoicism, quote, off-putting to modern individuals, almost none of whom believe in the existence of Zeus, and many of whom don't believe we were created by a divine being who wanted what is best for us, end quote. Ryan Holiday takes a different approach and justifies ignoring Stoic physics, which includes Stoic theology, by making the unsubstantiated claim that as Stoicism progressed, the later Stoics, quote, focused primarily on two of these topics, logic and ethics, end quote, which means they didn't pay any attention any longer to Stoic physics. In a more unique approach, Donald Robertson attempts to obscure the modern divergence from Stoicism by making the unsupportable claim that some of the ancient Stoics, quote, may have adopted a more agnostic stance, end quote, or may have, quote, believed that agnosticism or even atheism may have been consistent with the Stoic way of life. Claims like these may satisfy those who are unfamiliar with the Stoic texts and have not read any credible scholarship on Stoicism. Likewise, they may please those atheists and agnostics who wish those claims to be true. However, these claims do not stand up to the textual evidence or the credible scholarship on those texts. A more brazen example of the modern predisposition against the religious nature of Stoicism is offered by Massimo Piliucci, who combines a little bit of literary fiction with a bit of scientific hubris to justify abandoning the Stoic worldview and its deeply religious nature. In his 2017 book, How to Be a Stoic, which in fairness would have been more appropriately titled How to Be a Secular Stoic, Piliucci engages Epictetus in an imaginary conversation. He sits Epictetus down for a friendly chat and educates him about the, quote, powerful double punch, end quote, that David Hume and Charles Darwin delivered to the Stoic conception of a providential cosmos. Of course, in Piliucci's version of this story, Epictetus does not provide a defense of Stoic providence against the claims of modern philosophy and science. Instead, Epictetus remains silent while the Stoic worldview is laid waste. However, for those who have any familiarity with the discourses of Epictetus, it's hard to imagine this conversation would be so one-sided if the real Epictetus were engaged with Piliucci. It is easy to imagine Epictetus countering with something like, My dear philosopher, the Stoics say that the first thing that needs to be learned is the following, that there is a God, 
and a God who exercises providential care of the universe. Discourses 2.14.11 Then, Epictetus, in his typically protreptic style, might have asked Piliucci, quote, What is the universe then, and who governs it? Discourses 2.14.25 Finally, it's fair to assume a modern version of Epictetus would be familiar enough with the writings of Hume and Darwin to know that Piliucci's, quote, powerful double punch may be quite effective against the new atheist straw man version of God paraded into most modern debates. However, a modern, well-informed Epictetus would be able to point out that neither Hume nor Darwin can land a blow on the imminent God of Stoicism that providentially orders the cosmos from within. Unfortunately, Piliucci is so beholden to the reductionist materialist belief system of 19th century science that he is compelled to declare, as he recently did, that the metaphysical beliefs of the ancient Stoics are, quote, unsustainable in the light of modern science. Of course, what Piliucci and other modern reductionist materialists fail to tell their audience is that their 19th century conception of reality is itself unsustainable in light of 20th century quantum discoveries and modern theories of consciousness. More importantly, Piliucci's appeal to modern science to refute Stoic metaphysics is adequately undercut by the existence of many brilliant modern scientists and philosophers from a variety of fields who believe that some form of pre-existing consciousness or mind-like background provides the best explanation for the order that we see in the cosmos and for our human consciousness. Before I proceed with the discussion about the religious nature of Stoicism, I want to make two points perfectly clear, because what I've just stated is likely to stir some controversy. And I want to make sure that I am not being misunderstood by those who have made unfounded accusations against traditional Stoicism. First, the idea that Stoicism is somehow compatible with atheism without being substantially modified, and the speculation that the ancient Stoics, quote, may have adopted a more agnostic stance, end quote, or themselves, quote, believed that agnosticism or even atheism may have been consistent with the Stoic way of life, end quote, are recent inventions of the modern Stoic movement. These assertions are completely unsupportable by any reasonable interpretation of the Stoic text and are contradicted by a large body of scholarship. Lawrence Becker, in his 1998 book, A New Stoicism, was the first person to propose a secular version of Stoic ethics. However, even he acknowledged the dilemma he faced with his attempt to extract Stoic ethics from the, quote, purposive system with an end or goal that practical reason directs us to follow, end quote. He declared, quote, it seems that the book cannot be a work of Stoic ethics without the Stoic teleology. But it cannot be a credible work of ethics with such a cosmology. In other words, Becker realized that Stoic teleology, the idea that the cosmos has a purpose with which we humans should align ourselves, is simply not credible in academia. That will not be a surprise to anyone who is familiar with modern academic philosophy. The important point here is that Becker, who is at the leading edge of what would later develop into the modern Stoic movement, is open and honest about the fact that Stoic physics and ethics are considered inseparable. Prior to Becker, no one seriously considered such a separation feasible. Even today, 20 years after Becker wrote A New Stoicism, no credible scholar of Stoicism 
claims that Stoic ethics can be separated from the Stoic conception of the providential cosmos without making substantial changes to the system as a whole. In fact, many modern scholars have countered that and argued that it simply cannot be done. My second point that I want everyone to understand is this. I have repeatedly stated and written that I fully support the creation of a secularized version of Stoicism that can appeal to modern atheists and agnostics. I believe that furthering what Becker started in 1998 is both reasonable and commendable. However, reinterpreting Stoic text to give undue weight to ambiguous fragments in an attempt to anachronistically paint the ancients as agnostics or to speculate that they may have been open to agnosticism or even atheism is neither reasonable nor is it commendable. These practices may serve to further the modern Stoic movement and sell many books and courses to the masses. Nevertheless, they also open the door to a myriad of interpretive practices that will allow Stoicism to be twisted and distorted beyond all recognition. In 1998, Lawrence Becker made his divergence from ancient Stoicism quite clear. Unfortunately, the opposite is true of some modern popularizers who are attempting to justify their predisposition to secularism and their aversion to the religious nature of Stoicism by rewriting the history of the Stoa and attributing beliefs to the ancient Stoics that are contradicted by the surviving texts. Now that we have some idea how the modern Stoic popularizers feel about the religious nature of Stoicism, let's see what the recognized scholars have to say on this topic. Interestingly, early Christian thinkers, medieval scholastics, 16th century neo-Stoics, and 19th and 20th century scholars of Stoicism all recognized the deeply religious nature of Stoicism. As examples, the distinguished classicist Edith Hamilton claimed that Stoicism was a religion first and a philosophy only second. Additionally, she wrote, This is the voice, not of philosophy, but of religion. Stoicism from its earliest beginnings was religious. It must not, however, be concluded that Stoicism was a religion only, and not a philosophy. Likewise, classical scholar Gilbert Murray wrote, Stoicism may be called either a philosophy or a religion. It was a religion in its exalted passion. It was a philosophy in as much as it made no pretense to magical powers or supernatural knowledge. Scottish philosopher Edward Caird called Stoicism a religious philosophy. Quote, From the first, Stoicism was a religious philosophy, as is shown by the great hymn of Cleanthes, the successor of Zeno, as head of the school, a hymn which is inspired by the consciousness that it is one spiritual power which penetrates and controls the universe and is the source of every work done under the sun, quote, except what evil men endeavor in their folly, end quote. Finally, German philosopher Edward Zeller points out the impossibility of understanding Stoicism apart from its theology. He wrote, quote, it would be impossible to give a full account of the philosophy of the Stoics without, at the same time, treating of their theology, for no early system is so closely connected with religion as that of the Stoics. Founded as the whole view of the world is upon the theory of one divine being, there is hardly a single prominent feature in the Stoic system which is not more or less connected with theology." End quote. So, is Stoicism a religion? 
Or are these scholars wrong to suggest that Stoicism is a religion? Well, at first glance, it appears that Pierre Doe thought they were wrong. He suggests that we must be careful to make a distinction between philosophy and religion. And of course, such an assertion depends on definitions one chooses for philosophy and religion. Moreover, the distinction is complicated by the fact that the line of demarcation between them has been quite blurred historically. Hedo suggests, quote, the essence of Stoicism is thus the experience of the absolute nature of moral conscience and of the purity of intention, end quote. And he does not think we should speak of it as religion. Instead, he argues that the word philosophy is adequate to describe the purity of this attitude and that we ought to avoid mixing with philosophy all the vague and imprecise implications, both social and mythical, which the notion of religion brings with it, end quote. However, when we consider the definition of religion that Haydo is relying on, it becomes quite clear why he does not apply that label to Stoicism. He writes, quote, The word religion should be used to designate a phenomenon that involves images, persons, offerings, celebrations, and places that are devoted to God or to gods, end quote. Certainly, there is no evidence that Stoicism ever included any of those elements. While the Stoics did not object, to any of these common religious practices, none of them is a Stoic-specific practice. Ironically, the writings of Haydo are quite spiritual in nature, and he is largely responsible for popularizing the label, spiritual exercises, to refer to the philosophical practices of Stoicism and the other Hellenistic schools. Nevertheless, he is opposed to labeling it a religion. It is also reasonable to assume that his distinction was influenced by his training in the Catholic priesthood. In contrast with the institution and catechisms of Catholicism, Stoicism is certainly not a religion. Ultimately, the question depends on a definition of religion, for which there really is no consensus. Personally, I think the question is a red herring. No one is declaring in modern times that Stoicism is a religion, as most people would understand that term today. Therefore, the proclamation that Stoicism is not a religion, which is frequently made by modern Stoics, is little more than a distraction and avoids the important question, which is, is Stoicism a religious philosophy that entails assent to a providential cosmos to make its spiritual practices fully meaningful? Over the protestations of the modern Stoic popularizers, the recognized scholars of Stoicism say, yes. While Stoicism was never a religion in the modern sense, with temples, altars, its spiritual nature evoked reverence and piety in the ancients and in many people who practice it today. In its traditional form, Stoicism was a personal religion where, quote, the fundamental doctrines of the Stoa were such as to create a kind of spirituality to raise men's souls toward the cosmic God, end quote. Christopher Jadon, professor of philosophy of religion and ethics at the University of Groningen, wrote a well-researched book on Stoic virtue ethics in 2009. In the introduction, Jadon writes, There must have been a core of common beliefs and a common outlook that defined what it was to be a Stoic, even if stances on practical ethical questions were radically contended. That core, I suggest, was formed pivotally by the religious orientation of Stoic ethics. I am convinced that religion is the single most important perspective from which we can understand the specific shape and coherence of Stoic virtue ethics, end quote. Now, Jadon is not 
a well-known scholar of Stoicism. Therefore, some might be tempted to dismiss his work as an outlier. However, David Sedley, from the University of Cambridge, is one of the most highly regarded scholars in the field of Stoicism. And here is his endorsement of Jadon's work from the back cover of that very book. Quote, Christophe Jadon here demonstrates both the originality of the Stoic conception of virtue and its theoretical importance within the broader ambit of the school's philosophy. Prominent among the merits of this meticulously argued monograph is its insistence on giving the well-attested religious aspects of Stoic ethics their due weight. End quote. Unfortunately, words like religion, religious, and God are burdened with a tremendous amount of baggage which causes many people to recoil almost reflexively from them. Therefore, it's important to clarify what we mean by the religious nature of Stoicism and how it differs from what commonly comes to mind with such a word. The word spiritual applies equally well. However, it also carries its own baggage with many New Age forms of spirituality. Roger Walsh, author and professor of psychiatry at the University of California at Irvine, offers the following definition of religion and spirituality that I think fits Stoicism quite well. He writes, quote, We need to distinguish between two crucial terms, religion and spirituality. The word religion has many meanings. In particular, it implies a concern with the sacred and supreme values of life. The term spirituality, on the other hand, refers to direct experience of the sacred. Spiritual practices are those that help us experience the sacred, that which is most central and essential to our lives, for ourselves. End quote. Stoicism offers a direct experience of the sacred through the recognition that God, as Numa, is imminent in all of nature, and Logos, universal reason, is shared by all of mankind. Therefore, I believe that Stoicism can be reasonably considered a personal, religious, or spiritual practice. It is a well-documented fact that the religious sentiment of the Stoics were there from the very beginning, the very founding of the Stoa. Now, the Stoic God is an all-pervasive, imminent, active force in the cosmos and is equivalent to, and often called, nature. Zeus, Numa, and Logos are also used to refer to this active force. The Stoics used many names to refer to the divine principle in the cosmos, and Cleanthes, the second head of the ancient Stoa, pointed this out in the opening lines of his hymn to Zeus, which reads, quote, Most glorious of the immortals, invoked by many names, ever all-powerful Zeus, the first cause of nature, who rules all things with law, end quote. As Brad Inwood, professor of classics, and philosophy at Yale University and editor of the Cambridge Companion to the Stoics points out, the themes of Cleanthes' hymn lie at the heart of Stoicism and help to flesh out the doctrine of Chrysippus that theology is the culmination of physics. Like every branch of philosophy, physics is intimately concerned with the place of human beings in the coordinated whole, which is run by Zeus, end quote. Theistic leanings are quite prominent in the hymn to Zeus by Cleanthes, who is often considered one of the most religious of the early Stoics. Thus, as Brad Inwood suggests, according to Cleanthes' hymn, the philosophical life is a religious life, and vice versa. End quote. Likewise, the discourses of Epictetus are rich with theistic language. The logos of Stoicism is not a fully personal God, 
Nevertheless, as Professor Giovanni Riel from the Catholic University of Milan points out, quote, in the history of the Stoa, God will tend to assume more and more spiritual and personal traits. Religiousness will tend to permeate more and more strongly the system, and prayer will begin to acquire a precise meaning. The Stoa will turn, especially in the last stage, toward theism, but without arriving at it fully. End quote. Even though the religious nature of Stoicism evolved over the course of its 500-year history, the vivid religious sense was there from the founding of the Stoa, and was already found in its full expression in that hymn to Zeus. A. A. Long suggests that Epictetus's conception of God is a mix of pantheism and theism, and will be most intelligible if it is pictured as a universal mind by moderns. Nature as a whole is divine in Stoicism. Nature for the Stoics means a divine cosmos, and it is equivalent to God because pneuma, the active principle, permeates the entire cosmos and everything in it, including us humans. This divine cosmos of Stoicism is providentially ordered to the extent that everything works out for the good of the whole, rather than the good of any particular person. The religious nature of Stoicism is more than religious-sounding language. It's more than God talk, and the Stoic God is more than a mere metaphor. When we read the writings of Seneca, the discourses of Epictetus, and the meditations of Marcus Aurelius, and find within them a source of inspiration and moral guidance, we are wise to remember that each of these men trusted in a divine and providential cosmos as part of their Stoic practice. The same psychological consolation is available to us today for those practitioners who are interested and willing to integrate the metaphysical assumptions of the Stoics into their philosophical way of life. So what does it mean to declare that Stoicism is a religious philosophy and entails a spiritual way of life? Moreover, how does Stoicism then differ from religion as we commonly conceive of it? Now, one important distinction is this. The religious impulse of Stoicism is directed toward personal piety rather than public worship. Prayer and worship were certainly included in Stoic practice, and they had a single aim, to bring the thoughts and actions of the individual practitioner into coherence with universal reason, or logos, which pervades the cosmos. As Pierre Hedo argues, what defined a Stoic above all else was the choice of a life in which every thought, every desire, and every action would be guided by no other law than that of universal reason. End quote. The aim of Stoic practice is agreement between our human reason, which is a fragment of the Logos, and universal reason, which permeates and orders the entire cosmos. That agreement is personal, internal, and cannot be mediated by any priest or intermediary. A Stoic teacher like Epictetus can only point the way. It is the practitioner who must make the individual choices that keep them on the Stoic path. Nevertheless, even though a number of radical differences separate traditional monotheistic religions from Stoicism, as A.A. A. Long points out, quote, Epictetus' theological language betokens a personal belief and experience as deep and wholehearted as that of any Jew or Christian or Muslim, end quote. More importantly, as Christoph Jadon argues, quote, the religious tenor of Stoic philosophy provides the key for an adequate understanding of Stoic ethics, not only across time, but also structurally. 
by helping us to understand a number of counterintuitive and seemingly incoherent Stoic statements. End quote. No, Stoicism is not a religion in the traditional sense. However, it is a deeply spiritual way of life designed to transform the Stoic practitioner. It does so by changing our conception of good and bad and teaching us to live a life of moral excellence in agreement with cosmic nature. In other words, a Stoic is one, quote, who wants to be one mind with God, end quote, Discourses 2.19.26. Cosmic nature is ubiquitous within the Stoic texts, and it is an integral aspect of Stoic theory and practice. The God within was important to Seneca. The God talk of Epictetus was an expression of his piety and his relationship with the divinity of nature. And Marcus was serious when he asked the question in the privacy of his own journal why he should even care to go on living in a world devoid of gods and devoid of providence. Fortunately, Marcus maintained his confidence in the Stoic worldview and overcame the nihilism and existential angst of the alternative with his confident proclamation about the gods. He wrote, But they do exist, and they do show concern for human affairs. They have placed it wholly within the power of human beings never to fall into genuine evils. Meditations 2.11 Similarly, Seneca succinctly expresses the religious impulse of Stoicism while simultaneously contrasting it with traditional religion. He writes, We do not need to uplift our hands toward heaven or to beg the keeper of the temple to let us approach his idol's ears, as if in this way our prayers were more likely to be heard. God is near you. God is with you. He is within you. Letters 41.1 Like Marcus, Seneca did not consider life worth living without the existence of God and his ability to contemplate the divine. We see that point expressed clearly by Seneca in the preface to Book 1 of Natural Questions. Of course, Epictetus' personal piety is on display in his suggestion that we should sing perpetual praises. Quote, If I were a nightingale, I would perform the work of a nightingale, and if I were a swan, that of a swan. But as it is, I am a rational being, and I must sing the praise of God. This is my work, and I accomplish it, and I will never abandon my post for as long as it is granted to me to remain in it. And I invite you all to join me in this same song. Discourses 1.16.20-21 Likewise, Epictetus claims to be following the traditional teachings of the Stoa when he argues the first thing a Stoic must learn is that God exists and providentially administers the cosmos. Discourses 2.14.11 The same kind of reverence is clearly visible in Marcus's profound reliance on a providential cosmos for ethical and emotional support. Marcus wrote, Everything suits me that suits your designs, O my universe. Nothing is too early or too late for me that is in your own good. All is fruit for me that your season brings, O nature. All proceeds from you, all subsists in you, and to you all things return. The meditations of Marcus Aurelius have inspired countless people, and there is good reason why it remains an influential and inspirational part of the Western spiritual and ethical canon all the way into the 21st century. American philosopher and religious scholar Jacob Needleman suggests that the combination of metaphysical vision, poetic genius, and worldly realism of a ruler within the meditations of Marcus Aurelius inspire us and give us, quote, honorable and realistic hope in our embattled lives, end quote. 
As a result, he argues, the Meditations deserves its unique place among the writings of the great spiritual philosophers, end quote. Likewise, the Reverend F.W. Farr concluded, I know not whether the whole of human antiquity, out of its gallery of stately and royal figures, can furnish a nobler or more purer or more lovable picture than that of the crowned philosopher and laureled hero, who was yet one of the humblest and one of the most enlightened of all the ancient seekers after God. End quote. I feel certain that Lawrence Becker is right. The divine and providential cosmos of Stoicism is simply not credible in modern academia. Likewise, William Irving is certainly correct to suggest that the Stoic worldview is off-putting to atheists and agnostics who desire to self-identify as Stoics in our secular age. Finally, I have no doubt that for Massimo Piliucci and other moderns who are beholden to the reductionist materialist belief system of mainstream science, the Stoic worldview will appear unsustainable. Fortunately, Stoicism has already survived more than 2,000 years of criticism and bias from all sides. Therefore, we have very good reason to believe that it will also survive the bias of our current secular age and the attempts to morph it into a system that is compatible with the modern predisposition to agnosticism and atheism. In spite of these criticisms, there is something perennially appealing within Stoicism. Many of those who disavow the Stoic conception of a divine and providential cosmos still find within the lives of the ancients who lived according to that worldview something profoundly inspirational. They feel the subtle tug of cosmic nature, attempting to draw them toward a connection with something larger than themselves. Within the pages of the Stoic texts, some agnostics and atheists may even sense that some part of their psyche is resonating with something profound and much larger than their secular worldview allows. They are correct. The deeply spiritual nature of Stoicism is plainly evident to any open-minded reader of the surviving Stoic texts. No, Stoicism is not an institutionalized religion. No one is arguing that it is. However, Stoicism is more than ethics. It is more than a path to tranquility. It is more than a life hack. It is more than a stoical version of cognitive behavioral therapy. Stoicism is a deeply spiritual way of life. It was so during the early Stoa, as evidenced by Cleanthes' hymn to Zeus, and it remains so throughout the history of the Stoa, as can be seen in the letters and essays of Seneca, the meditations of Marcus Aurelius, and the discourses of Epictetus. That spiritual aspect of Stoicism continues to appeal to many moderns because it resonates with our human nature, which intuitively knows that we are participants in something greater than ourselves. We are parts of a larger whole. Within the pages of the Stoic texts, we feel the subtle pull of cosmic nature, that which we are physically part of, but from which we have become psychically disconnected. Cosmic nature does not demand obedience to a list of rules, it encourages agreement with the events of nature for our well-being. By living in agreement with cosmic nature, the excellence of our human nature can be realized and we can experience psychological well-being regardless of the external circumstances we may face. Stoicism is not a religion as commonly understood. Nevertheless, it remains a viable and profoundly spiritual path for moderns. The spiritual teachings and practices of Stoicism 
will not lead you to a temple, church, confessional booth, priest, altar call, tent revival, or set of holy scriptures. Instead, the Stoic path will lead you to a sacred place, inside your own psyche, where the fragment of the divine within you can reconnect with the divinity that is imminent within nature, and thereby help you create a rational and meaningful life. Thank you for listening to the Stoicism on Fire podcast. If you're interested in this ancient practice of Stoicism, you will find plenty of resources at www.traditionalstoicism.com. If you're interested in a social media environment where this form of Stoicism is discussed, please join us on Facebook in the Traditional Stoicism group. If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider leaving a positive review on the platform where you listen to this podcast. That tells others this podcast is worth listening to and thereby introduces more people to the ancient spiritual practices of the Stoics. If you have feedback or a great podcast idea for me, send me an email at chris, that's C-H-R-I-S, at traditionalstoicism.com. Until next time, I hope you will continue exploring traditional Stoicism, where the cosmos is alive with the meaning and purpose of the divine creative fire of the ancient Stoics. I wish you well and encourage you to keep your practice of Stoicism on fire. Thank you.